Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to The Inner Life here for this Tuesday, Tuesday of the 18th week in Ordinary Time. I'm Josh Raymond and so glad to have you joining us during this hour of our program about spiritual direction. And, you know, when you think of a family, what comes to your mind? Do you think of maybe that fa- uh, the classic family structure, something that we've all seen on television shows, maybe from Leave it to Beaver all the way to The Symptom- Simpsons? There's that mom, there's that dad, along with two or three kids. Or maybe do you think of a blended family, something more like the Brady Bunch, where there are stepchildren, stepbrothers, stepsisters? Or do you think of a non-traditional family structure, something where there's a single parent that's raising one or more kids, perhaps with the help of a relative? And if you go back to a television show, that might mean The Andy Griffith Show or Full House. And of course, you know, those are just little uh, uh, (laughs) slices in those the, the sitcoms there where you're looking at the families. But real life families, what does that look like? Well, growing up, I was pretty much a lone child in a single-parent home. My brother and my sister, they're 13 and 14 years older than me. And so by the time I was five years old, both of them, they were out of the house. And then my father died of cancer when I was nine. So from that point forward, it was pretty much just me and my mom there in the house. Now, looking at two of my closest friends growing up, one of them lived in a family where his mom had divorced when he was young, and then she remarried. And the other friend, he had that traditional family. He and his sister, they had their parents that stayed together, still are married. And I think that was a pretty common cross-section of family life there growing up in the 80s. Some kids with both parents, some kids living in blended families, and then some kids like me living in homes with a single parent. But regardless of the structure of your family, if you, if you are a parent, if you have kids, then you're called to teach your kids and not just teach them about life, but teach them about the faith. Coming out of the Second Vatican Council, they released a document called On the Declaration of Christian Education. And in that document, the church states, since parents have given children their life, they are bound by the most serious obligation to educate their offspring and therefore must be recognized as the primary and principal educators. Primary and principal educators. What do you think that means for you to be the primary and principal educators of your children? In my life as a father, I think this has been expressed in two main ways. First, there are the conversations and those opportunities to actively teach my children. And it might be where I give instructions regarding something that's happening in the moment, 
you know, here's how to do this, or wait, you know, don't, don't do that first, do this, <laughs> this first and that second, those, those active moments. It might be sitting at the table where we're discussing some of the common questions that our kids have about life or about the church and the faith. And it can be in those moments where my wife and I lead our kids in family prayer, whether that's, again, praying around the dinner table before we have a meal or praying a rosary together as a family. So those active moments, those moments where we're actively talking to, teaching our kids about the faith or life in general. But then I think there's a second and possibly more important way that my wife and I teach our children. And back in the days of Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign to combat drug use in the U.S., there was this anti-drug PSA that ran on television. And you might remember it. This was back in the late 80s. And this PSA, it had a father come into his teenage son's room with a small box that was filled with what looked like maybe marijuana and some other drug paraphernalia. And he says that the boy's mom had found it in his closet. And then the father, he starts grilling his son with question after question. You know, where did you get this? What were you thinking? And finally, the father, he asks his son, who taught you how to do this stuff? And the boy had been trying to make excuses or deny that it was his up until that moment. But when his dad asked, who taught you how to do this? The boy then yells back and he says, it was you. All right. I learned it by watching you. And the point of the PSA was that your kids, they see more than you think they do. If you use illicit drugs, then there's a good chance that your kids, they'll watch your example and they'll think that there's nothing wrong with using drugs themselves. But this works for good things too. You know, that was supposed to be preventative, but you can be proactive. If your children see you being patient with your spouse, there's a good chance that they will take away that this is how you should treat someone you love. If your child sees you being honest, if the cashier gives you back too much money and you return that extra uh, that you got rather than pocket it, then your son or your daughter, they knows that you practice what you preach when you say that you shouldn't steal from others. If your children see you making it a priority to go to regular confession and attend weekly mass, that example, it will stay with them. But going back to that question about what it means to be the primary and principal educators of our children, what do you do when you don't know where to start? Or what if your children are already grown and out of the house with their own young children? What if you don't have the support of a spouse? If you're that single parent, you're trying to balance work and paying the bills while still trying to raise your family. And what if you're the child what if you don't have children of your own? What is your responsibility to your parents and your siblings in trying to encourage them in their faith life? Today we want to look at how whatever our situation, whatever our state in life, how we can impact our families to help them grow closer to Christ so that we can take on that role of educating, being that educator in our family, helping, on, helping to pass on the faith. Helping us to do this, look at this, all the different facets of family life that we experience and how that can even change over the years. Our spiritual director for this hour of the inner life, Father Joseph Ilo, he's a priest in the Diocese of San Francisco, Archdiocese, I should say, and he's the pastor at Star of the Sea Parish there in San Francisco. Father Ilo, welcome back to the inner life. So glad to have you on the program again. And so what was your family life growing up? Uh, did you have a big family, small family? Were you uh, kind of traditional? mom and dad there at home? 
Yes, Josh, good to be back on the program. My family, well, we had six children, my mom and dad, so that makes eight. And we lived in not so big houses, so at different points I remember growing up with three of the, I was the fourth of six, so there were three younger ones were in one bedroom. So plenty of occasions to fight and to make up and to learn how to get along, to learn how to share. So it was a wonderful school of all the virtues. John Paul <laughs> II, in his, he has a great and sick, or apostolic letter, you know, Familiar's Consorts here from 1981. It's interesting you say education and school. He uses the word school. The family is a school so many times in that document. And that's what my family was. It was training for life, learning how to love each other even when you didn't love each other. So because, now did you... Oh, I'm God, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, the, did the, you <laughs> have your mom uh, continually tell you, okay, go tell your brother or go tell your sister you're sorry, even if you didn't want to, even if you didn't feel like it, all kinds of moments like that? All kinds of moments. I, I remember vaguely when I was probably seven years old I was just so mad at my brother and I was my all of the family I was out of control really I was shouting and screaming and red in the face my dad calmly went over to the kitchen and got a big pan of water and just poured it over me and I calmed down but I the whole family was happy that I got through this and it just made me realize first of all that I can't do I can't even manage my life alone. I'm prone like every other human being to go crazy sometimes. And it's the family that's behind me, even the family that I'm so mad at. Just that cold douse of water brought me back to reality that I'm part of a family. And this family, collectively inspired by God's grace, knows better than I, better than me, what, what I need to do with my life. It was a great school of love. So now, looking at that example, too, your father pouring that pan of water over your head just to kind of reset the moment, get you to just take a breath, um, literally, if you're having to kind of catch your breath while you have water running down your face there. Um, as, as you're going through that moment, and especially looking back, there are those times where you don't need words, and the lesson that is taught there. Uh, the actions really can speak louder than any words that your father might have said at that moment. That's right. He he did this in silence, but with a sense of uh, paternal love and uh, serenity. I, I knew that he was in charge, that God had put this man as my father to to help me grow up, to provide for me, protect me from my from myself, really. A good, good, good splash of cold water, just what the doctor ordered. Now, at the moment, I, I doubt that you would have had the same sort of response that you're giving me right now, that you, you know, very calmly are saying, I know that God put this man in charge of our family. He was there to help raise me. Uh, that, that might not have been your initial reaction. Um, I, I guess not. I, 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 you know, you remember things colored through the lenses of... Uh, the, the the rest of your life, but yeah, yeah. I I think I remember just seeing his 
the expression and the demeanor, the, the way he walked, it was calm. I, I still remember that, mm. that this, this man is a giant next to me, and, and God has given him this power to help me. I, I could look up to my father quite literally as he stood over me and calmed me down. But you're right in, in the sense that there's got to be a lot of chaos to be waded through in any family before you reach calm water sometimes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when we talk about the family, uh, regardless of the structure, especially if it changes in the future, at least to begin with, if there's going to be a mother and a father and a child, then it has to start with that mother and father, that husband and wife. So that might be kind of a good starting point for us here. And, you know, we read in Scripture that a man and a woman, when they are married, when they come together, that the Bible describes it as them becoming one flesh. And I've been to um, uh, some of my non-Catholic family. I've been to a couple of weddings where it seems to become this kind of popular um, part of the, the wedding ceremony there. For the couple that's getting married, they have these two different vials or vases of colored sand, one color in one container, a different color of sand in a different container. And you can see the two different colors. And then the young man will take one, the young woman will take the other. And together they pour those two individual containers of sand into another empty glass vase. And the two colors of sand, they mix together. They give this visual that it would be so painstakingly difficult to try and separate out all of those individual grains of sand ever again into their two separate colors. And so this visual then is of the two persons becoming one. Um, so for us as Catholics, then, what does this mean? How can we have a better understanding, uh, not, not just kind of a secular understanding of a man and woman in, entering into marriage, but what does it mean for us to become one flesh, husband and wife, as Catholics? Well, quite biologically and literally, it means having a baby, because then you have one person that's from both, the, the genes and chromosomes are from both mom and dad. And that's why the baby is essential, if, if God gives you a, a child in your marriage, but to avoid children, especially artificially, is so damaging to marriages because you don't have that physical manifestation of the two in one flesh, the one flesh union. Now, of course, before the baby comes the marital act, and so that's obviously a very, again, physical, emotional, spiritual bonding, and we know now all the chemicals, the biological uh, endorphins that surge through the body during the marital act uh, that, that are bonding, that are ch chemically bonding, but they're only chemically bonding because they're first spiritually bonding. So a man and a woman joined in holy matrimony become one flesh, so through the marital act, through children. And then that's worked out or, or proven throughout the day, throughout the week, by acts of love and consideration for the other. So calling the spouse on the phone to say, I love you a couple times a day, taking out the trash, uh, helping the kids with the homework, doing all the things that really are lovemaking to the spouse in those three ways. Uh, so children, marital act, and the just serving each other and being there for each other throughout the day. 
Really quick, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I do want to go back to one thing you just said here when you said, if God gives you children. And in our culture right now, there seems to be an overwhelming attitude, especially secularly, that children are not necessarily a gift, but they, they are a right or something that I am owed, something that, you know, I want to have this, I should be able to have this. Uh, that's a real backwards way of looking at children. The, the church has always said children are a gift. Um, that also goes back to the idea that we are stewards, we're t- caretakers of our children. Um, it, it really kind of gets us out of the mindset if we say children are a gift, it gets us out of the mindset of they're my children to where we say, well, God has blessed me with these children and I need to really care for them in the manner best suiting what God has entrusted me with. Certainly right, Josh, that the approach, the attitude of stewardship is so healthy and life-giving opposed to the idea of ownership. So stewardship, not ownership. I don't own these children. They are, everything is a gift from God. Everything I have and am is a gift from God. None of it originates from me alone. The the fact that we're talking on this radio program, the fact that we have faith, a car in the garage, children, I have a parish, all of these things are gifts. And to be constantly grateful, as Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, preserves us from negativity and its discouragement and the kind of violent insistence on rights that is so harmful to parenting, to harmful to every every aspect of our lives. And so the, the children, if we steward our children, you talked about educating children, raising them, forming them. Uh, if you have a precious gift, you're going to care for it, husband it, nurture it, tend it. And that's the most important job of of parents if they are given children. And if they're not given children or if the child is given to them and taken away, then still we thank God. That's That takes great faith mm, to, right. to see a child die or not ever to be given children or to be um, in a divorce, the tragedy of divorce, and see your child taken away from you, or at least most of the week. To be able to praise God and even thank him in those kinds of very difficult circumstances is the proof of our faith, but it's so life-giving to be able to give thanks in all circumstances, as stewards do. Yeah, that, that, that is such a difficult thing, and I remember reading about C.S. Lewis, and you know he never had any children, um, but he did get married later in life, and I know uh, it was a short marriage, um, and he ended up having two stepchildren. I, I think I believe it was two out of that um, marriage. But he even went through a portion of his life after his wife was taken from him with cancer, after uh, she died, where he spent, I think it was months, just kind of questioning, you know, God, why, why would you bring this woman into my life and then take her? And, you know, just what's the purpose of this? So that, like you say, Father, it really does take faith there. One of the other things I wanted to go back to that you had said, you you talked about these three different aspects of how spouses can show their love. One of the things, bringing that even into um, the way that we teach our kids, 
I remember hearing years and years ago, I think probably before I was married, that one of the best things that a, a father can do for his children is to simply just let them see that he absolutely overwhelmingly loves their mother. Mm-hmm. Right. It's common to say the best, if you love your children, you will love your their mother or if the best way to show love to a child is to love their father because the child has that natural biological psychological love for both parents and so the hardest thing for a child is to see his parents fighting when there's a there are families all the time in parishes that are that fall in and out of love I mean spouses that are going through difficulties and the one thing I always tell them never fight in front of the children. Marriage is a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight. Fight against our own problems, against the problems of the other, but never fight in front of the children. It's just too much of a burden for them to bear. I also wanted to mention, just quickly, back to C.S. Lewis. Josh, you said that he suffered the death of his wife from cancer, uh, Joy Davidson, that became his wife. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed, which I recommend because many people have gone through, you mentioned your father passed away, many people have lost a spouse. And C.S. Lewis, for my mind, is one of the best uh, insightful thinkers about how to survive the loss of a spouse, really the, the disruption of a family like that. Our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Ilo, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco, and today we're talking about how we can live out the faith in our families, how we can, as parents, be those educators of our children, help pass on the faith to them, and how have you been able to do that? How have you been able to help your children learn about the faith? What are some creative or successful ways that you've been able to encourage your kids um, growing up, but also to stay grounded in their faith even as they move on into adulthood? Uh, what are some ways maybe that you're looking right now? If you have a young family, you're saying, yeah, I'd like a little help on on this. Uh, that's why Father Ilo is here, to be able to offer you that advice. And our studio line is open right now for your phone calls, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can email us at innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more on family life and the faith right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.
Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo, a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and today talking about how we can pass on the faith to our kids, how we can bring the faith into our family life, how we can make that uh, not just an individual experience, but how we really can live out our faith as families. How have you done that in your own family? What are some things that, especially if there's some younger parents that are listening, if your family has grown, what are some things that you found successful in being able to have your kids be engaged, learning about the faith, being able to grow in their understanding of our Christian belief, staying close to the church, the sacraments? Our studio line is open right now, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And Father Ilo, um, you know, we, we talked kind of about the beginning of the family, that it's it started there with husband and wife, mother and father. So as you observe different families there in your parish, as you have watched even your own parents, what do you think in living out that role as the primary educators of our children? When you look at those families in your, par- uh, your parish that are they're accomplishing that task— what do those parents do? What are some of the traits that they share in common that you see, you know, themes that maybe run through as they're trying to uh, really live that out in their families? Yes. Uh, well, and I suppose a lot of our listeners are thinking right now, well, I should probably call in and share my story because there's so many best practices that could be shared. But what I see in the parish is the, the essential trait is togetherness. That is spending time together, first of all, in prayer. You know the famous the family that prays together stays together. But also the family that stays together prays together. That is, you make the effort to attend Mass as a family. And even if you are fighting and screaming on the way over, you settle down because you're all together, and eventually you start to pray together. I've seen families pray the family rosary and it it starts off kind of difficult getting all the kids there and somebody's got to go to the bathroom and somebody's fighting with another one and but you you kind of settle down into a, a rhythm after a while now at any given time that could be broken by somebody one of the kids doing something but you make the effort to be together and then togetherness happens you but just physical proximity. So not only praying, but also eating meals together. That's an obvious one that's been pushed, uh, promoted a lot in the last, say, 30 years, the, f- the family dinner at least a few times a week. And that means getting rid of the devices. So families that have strict rules on cell phones, smartphones and, and tablets and such when the family's together. And then finally, uh, outings and, and like hiking trips or uh, picnics or going to the museum or the symphony together as a family. I'll never forget my mother taking us kids to see the sound of music. Uh, this was a long time ago. We were in a theater probably 45 years ago. I'm 59, so I was just a kid, but um, just to be together for a movie and then uh, I think we had ice cream afterwards somewhere together. My mother used to take us kids to confession every two or three weeks with the promise of ice cream afterwards. That's how she got us there. So uh, all the kids, you know, we didn't want to go to confession so much. We wanted that ice cream 
afterwards we'd go to a, a dairy store and so mom found a way and dad found a way to get the kids together bribe us trick us uh, <laughs> you know find a way uh -huh. to keep the bodies the the people next to each other so i think togetherness is is, is the one big trait i see uh, so how do you maintain that? Uh, is that something where even just, you, you mentioned the family dinners. If you've got a spouse who, or you're the one who is working late hours and you don't have that opportunity or you have to travel a lot for work, do you just try and make those times happen when you are available, when you do have that moment there? And and the reason I ask this is because I... I know there are times where if I've had to travel for work, if, you know, it's just been a long week, sometimes you do just need that time for yourself to decompress. Um, but you obviously have to balance, yeah, I need my own time, I need my own space, with being able to say, no, that, that family time is really important. In, any words of advice for somebody who's in kind of maybe that regular situation where they're not able to be at home every night to have that family dinner, not able to have that regular time every weekend maybe to spend those moments, those hours, those outings that they might go on with wife and kids or husband and kids? Well, that's a really good realistic assessment, Josh, that we live in a society that tends towards isolation and atomization, the individual insisting or thinking that I need my t my needs, my individual time, my to be met. So realize that we're we're swimming upstream here. Second, do your best. I mean, really, your best to prioritize family time, and even if that means I get back from work and I go right to the dinner even though I'd rather be alone for half an hour or catch up on my internet, news sites, or watch something on TV. But to make that sacrifice, because we are selfish by nature. Original sin has made us selfish. We have to always keep that into account that, well, I need my personal time. We do, but the personal, the individualistic, demands of our wounded nature will always shout down the the virtuous needs for community. So I say where there's a, a it's a toss-up, like, well, I could go spend a little time alone or I could be in community, choose community. And then a third thing is when you can't, you really, you just can't uh, take the time then look forward to the next time. Mm -hmm. Say, well, I, I couldn't do it this time, but uh, we're going to plan another family dinner as soon as possible. And, and um, you know, I'm a priest, I'm a pastor, and I, there's there's four priests in my rectory. And it's hard to get us priests together to pray the rosary. Or we, we pray morning and evening prayer together. And it's constant maintenance. I mean, I, as the pastor, as the daddy figure of this parish, have I, I've got to be continually encouraging and sometimes, you know, requiring that my priests come for prayer. Some of them, yes, they they love it. Others, they're busy. So to be a father figure means to be unpopular sometimes in really requiring that the family come together for for at least for minimal uh, experiences together. 
It's a lot of work, and sometimes it makes you unpopular, but it's what our, <laughs> uh-huh. what all of us deeply need as, as a father to do that. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is we do have to spend that time together. We need to put down devices. We need to, you know, unplug and just be with the people that are actually there with us. But I will say on the other side of that, having the ability to have, you know, whether it's the Zoom calls or the the, the FaceTime, you know, connection there. Um, when I have been away from our home traveling or when my wife has been away from our home traveling, uh, boy, that is such a great way for us to stay connected and we can still pray together in the evening. You know, if, okay, I've, I've had my dinner, you guys have had your dinner, and then, sure, we're going to connect and you can see face-to-face and kind of pray along together still. So, I mean, while there there is the... And and I don't know if you'll see many other proponents as big as myself of, yeah, get unplugged. Don't spend and waste the time on social media. But having that ability to connect with your family when you are away, uh, we have more opportunities now than ever before, Father. That's quite right, Josh. And it's not unplugging. It's knowing, having the wisdom to know when and where to plug in and when where to unplug. So you would want to unplug when you're with someone face-to-face, but you would want to plug in when you're not there face-to-face to be able to have some connection with them. I know we have a Zoom meeting with all my siblings every three months, and we all look forward to it. And again, it's hard to get people to get on. In fact, we have one coming up on Saturday, and I'm going to be at a retreat giving some talks, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on for like 40 minutes, but I've retooled this retreat schedule in order to do that. So you, we have to prioritize, too, um, any kind of communication with loved ones, whether it's Zoom. So technology is neutral, morally neutral. It's how we use it. How we As use you it say, and apply it. it. Can, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Father, so let's talk about some other situations here. You know, we're talking about especially young parents. And again, if you're a parent and you've had that experience of passing on the faith, helping to encourage your kids to stay in the faith, our studio line is open, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo. And we're talking about living out our faith as a family, ways that we can incorporate the faith into our family life. But let's say that I've been away from the church, and I've come back. I, I'm, I'm really energized and excited, but my kids are now in their teenage years, and I really didn't start when they were young trying to teach them about the Catholic faith when they were in those young developmental years. So I might feel like I've missed this opportunity. Any advice on what I might be able to do to make up for a little of that lost ground, that lost time there? Lost time. I'm sorry, repeat the question, Josh. Right. So, you know, if, if I am uh, an adult who's come back to the faith, my kids are in their teens. I didn't start teaching them about the faith like maybe now I kind of regret. I, I wanted to, you know, start doing something now that they are teenagers, but I just came back to the faith myself. How do I approach my kids? How do I try and encourage them but, you know, knowing that, okay, they're teenagers, they might not be as receptive. Right. So beauty, I think, is the uh, the lead-in. Now, people say beauty will save the world. Misquoting Dostoevsky, actually, it's truth that saves the world. Jesus is the truth. But beauty gets us there. And so, for, especially for children that haven't been given a credible witness, 
uh, growing up. So bring them to a beautiful liturgy. Uh, we we spare little expenses here in, in music and investments and stuff in our parish, and people will just wander in and say, wow, the, the music, the polyphony, the, the clouds of incense, the bright colors of the vestments. So uh, we just put a half a million dollars into painting the inside of the church. So I think a, a beautiful liturgy, but also um, so maybe even take the kids. There, We have a museum here in San Francisco that has a lot of Renaissance and medieval art, and most of it's religious. It's it's paintings of the stories of the Bible, or of the saints. So, bring them to a museum, or maybe a a, a really good movie that beautifully portrays some aspect of our humanity, our faith. Well, and I kind of I, I will back. mention. Oh, yeah, no, no, go ahead, Father. Just uh, the. I think the most important document of our time on the family is Familiar's Consortio, 1981, John Paul II. And then the follow-up on that is Amoris Laetitia of Pope Francis. But really, he took his cue from that landmark document of 1981 on the family. And there are many uh, the previous popes have written on the family. But he says, John Paul II, in that document, that the, school, uh, the, the, par the family is a school of deeper humanity. And... You, your kids don't have to be religious to be brought into a deeper humanity through the family, through the virtues of the family. And then, you know, religion and, and um, specific doctrines of the faith can come later. But to, but to talk about the basic fundamental virtues, you know, the cardinal virtues of justice and, and fortitude and temperance and prudence, uh, we can do that in different ways through the family, through the culture, through art, music, etc. We had Paul who wrote in and said, how can a parent who grew up um, with their child being burdened with hearing their parents fight, how can I help my own daughter heal by communicating at her level my sense of shame about the fighting that she has witnessed? So that's kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, Father, that, you know, uh, parents for their kids, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't give them that burden of fighting in front of them. But for Paul here, if that's something that has happened, how can he try and make amends for that and help his daughter heal? Right. That's a beautiful, honest question. Well, I think the first step is repentance. And that goes a long way, more than we think. So to say to our children, if we've hurt them in that way, that I'm sincerely sorry, I didn't know what effect it was going to have on you. I could only feel my own pain at the time. So try to give the child some context why those fights transpired and to, to ask forgiveness. There have been some very good books written on the phenomena of divorce and, and uh, family strife. So uh, one's called uh, Primal Loss. It's uh, interviews of 70 children adult children of divorce and it's interesting to read through the their perspectives on how family disunity and strife affected them and also how they healed from that so um, primal loss is a good book for that uh, the author is um, Lila Miller but um, in general keep talking heart to heart 
with children who have been hurt by family disunity and um, show them the love now. That's, that's the most we can do. Our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life. And today we're talking about how we live out the faith in our family life. And whatever your family looks like, how have you been able to do that with your own children? Maybe you've got some questions about how you can approach bringing the faith into the practice of your family prayer time, uh, going to Mass together, being able to have those opportunities to learn about the faith. Our studio line is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and we'll continue our conversation with Father Ilo in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage this I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other love and marriage. The sultry tones of Frank Sinatra there, hey. I'm Josh Raymond, and welcome back to The Inner Life. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Ilo, a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And uh, we're talking about living out the faith in our families, how we incorporate the faith into the things that we do as fathers, as mothers, how we are the primary, the principal educators of our children in all areas, but also, of course, in the faith. And uh, we're taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father, uh, before the break, we were kind of talking about, you know, those those moments of disunity. You had mentioned that, you know, the divorce that happens so often in our culture, you know, that's just kind of that finality of that disunity. Uh, let's talk about families just for a moment where there is that single parent and, you know, living life in that setting as a single parent can be so overwhelming at times. You know, I watched my own mom do that through my growing up years. What advice do you have on trying to keep that balance of all the different responsibilities that you have, you know, working, paying the bills, all of that, while still trying to find time to educate your kids about the faith? Well, first, I have to say that divorce is a terrible loss for anybody, and it we don't assign blame either. In, in any case, I know so many uh, people who have suffered through divorce as spouses, and it was really almost nothing of their fault. You, so, we all have to be prepared for the defection of people we love. You know, people right. canceling us out of their lives uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they had reasons that are uh, make it very difficult for them to continue on. But what do you do? What do you do when the there's terrible strife in a family or, or divorce? So especially with divorce, the, one of the spouses is gone. Half of the marriage has been blown away. It has, has to be replaced by something else. And that has to be a deeper faith in God and a, a prayer life that fills up that void from the loss of a spouse. And this applies not only to the spouses, but to the children. The children have lost either a mother or a father to some degree. And so to, to make up for that deeper prayer life, so adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, maybe daily Mass, uh, Bible time with the kids at home. I do know single-parent families that have, been, that have really gotten through some uh, terrible times just by praying the rosary together. I, 
I could tell a story of single mom with three kids and one of the older kids was was going to kill the other one. <laughs> we had a knife. Oh my. And the mom was she called me and it's late at night and I wasn't didn't think it was prudent to go to this uh, mom's house at you know 10 o'clock at night. So I just said, well, say the rosary and call me if it gets worse. And she called me the next morning and said, got the kids around and said, we're going to pray the rosary. The older one ran off to his room and I guess he was afraid of the rosary. But peace ensued. Now it's it's a house by house struggle, right? It's right. day by day. But uh, so so prayer has that my answer is prayer. <laughs> That's a good answer. I like that, Father. Uh, again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. We've got Vivian, who's calling in from San Diego. Hi, Vivian. Welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Joseph Ilo. How do you present the love of God and the Catholic Church to children whose parents are non-practicing, and one of them is adamantly anti-religion. Vivian, are, are you a grandmother by any chance? Yep. Yeah, it's a common, like the grandparents want to bring faith to their grandchildren so badly, and the parents stand in the way. I can't tell you how many people I've met that say, I, my faith came through my grandmother, my grandfather, mostly through the grandmothers. The faith comes through the grandparents. Because, well, the parents are busy, and a lot of them have lost their faith, and we often get our faith back as we grow older. As my father said, he's 95 years old. A few years ago, he said, I'm getting too old to deny reality any longer. <laughs> and the reality is there is a God. So what can a grandparent do? Well, little prayers with the children. See where you can get that in. Of course, you can't violate the rights of the parents, but... Often parents will not be uh, adverse to just a little prayer with the, with the grandmother, maybe a, you know, decade of the rosary or something, a little Bible reading, something to show the children that there is a world beyond this world. Does that make any sense? Does. Thank you. Yeah, I know. One, of, I, you say one of the parents is adamantly opposed. That's a very difficult situation. So, I'll pray for you. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Vivian. And that also brings up, uh, you know, not just for grandparents, but if you are a spouse and the person you're married to, you know, maybe you got married early on and religion wasn't really important, you know, you, you weren't really plugged into your Catholic faith, but then you end up growing into your faith, you come back and you want to be able to have those opportunities in your house but your spouse still is not on the same page with you on that. You know, they haven't had that kind of experience to either come into or be drawn back to the church. Uh, that's another difficult situation there, too. Would you recommend kind of the same approach, just, you know, little prayers, little moments where you try and keep that unity with a husband or a wife that might not be going to Mass, might not be interested in family prayers, um, still try and incorporate that in little ways? Is there a different approach you might suggest that you've seen work, Father? Hmm. Well, ultimately, it's the soul and Christ. And so we can't force or demand results of faith from our children. If one of the spouses has not come back to the faith or never had it, uh, we just have to be saints individually. And the strongest 
catechesis is by witness. Right. So if our children see that we are serene and joyful and self-sacrificing, then they will pick up on that. I could tell you a lot of stories about Mother Teresa's sisters, how um, they don't proselytize in the sense of preach. They just do. They, they serve people with joy. And people say, tell me about your Jesus. So, yeah, a witness, personal witness. Mm. Uh, you know, as we're getting here to the end of the hour, too, um, if there's other, you, you mentioned uh, a couple of different writings of John Paul II, St. John Paul II. Um, any other continued reading that you might suggest that might be an encouragement for somebody who's wanting to look for ways that they can incorporate the faith into their life or, you know, practical uh, steps that they can take? to include that family prayer time? You know, if they're just saying, I, I, this all sounds good, I just don't know where to start. Right. Well, ironically, Mother Teresa, who was never married, is a great expert on the family. Now, I think because, well, first of all, she did have a family, her family of sisters, and then she worked most of her life with families. That is, she was a school teacher in Calcutta, for I think 18 years and then out in the streets basically working with families and and it's funny because I'm a celibate priest with no children and no wife and I'm talking about family as an expert but it's because we have a broader um, experience as religious and priests so there's a book called Love of Fruit Always in Season it's a classic published by Ignatius Press on the writings of Mother Teresa and she actually speaks a lot about the family and lots of other virtues and, and faith dimensions as well. But I've, I've read and reread that book. It's one paragraph from Mother, Mother Teresa's writings every day of the year. Hmm. And one of the, she says, families, we, we must smile at each other because we don't even have time to look at each other as families. So uh, that's such an obvious, when you think about it, um, and deeply, um, deeply true assertion that the family has to spend time together and really look at each other, understanding love. But that's the kind of wisdom that comes through Mother Teresa in that book, Love of Fruit Always in Season. Well, thanks for that recommendation, Father, and thanks for spending this hour with us. As we are down to about our last 10, 15 seconds here, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners your priestly blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, through the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, bless all of us listening in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Ilo, and thank you for listening. Of course, want to say a big thank you to our producers here, Nick Santovich and Lucas Holt, whose uh, help just makes this program run so smoothly. And, of course, you can listen to the entire show if you missed any portion of it. Go download the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass is next here on Relevant Radio. Relevant Radio can always be heard loud and clear on your smart speaker. Listen live, listen to your favorite show whenever it fits your schedule, access our exclusive In Conversation with God podcast, the Glenn Story Corner podcast, and more.